Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Ken Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and God bless you today. Thank you for joining me for this message. Today, we're going to continue in our Beauty of Grace series, and we're going to look at the next topic that I'd like for us to discuss in this series, and that is the cutlery of grace the cutlery of grace. Now, you may think that's a very strange title, but I think you'll understand when we get into this message why I may have chosen that title. Cutlery are tools or instruments mostly designed to cut something, and primarily we talk about them in the preparation of food and meals. Knives are part of a cutlery set. And knives, you have various kinds. Some are serrated, some are smooth, like more of a butter knife type of thing. But they're all sharp to do something. They all have a specific purpose. And that purpose is to cut something, to slice or dice in some way to prepare a meal or a food that is to be eaten or consumed. You may cut steak, for instance, or you cut the rinds off of vegetables or fruits to prepare them for eating or for baking. Grace, I'd like for us to consider today, has a cutlery set also to prepare us to make us better than we were before, to prepare us to be used by the king in his kingdom to prepare us to be used by the Lord to spread his good word and to prepare us as precious disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in love with him and growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we consider this topic, the cutlery of grace, I want us to first turn to Hebrews chapter 4. And in Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to read a couple of verses here. But I want us to set the context first. In the context of chapter 3 and 4, we see the children of Israel and their failure to believe God and to enter the Lord's rest. For God has prepared a Sabbath rest for us. And the children of Israel did not enter his rest according to the scriptures, because of unbelief. And what it's talking about here is when God brought them out of Egypt, he promised them to bring them to a promised land that he had ordained for them, a land allotted to them, a land where it would be their inheritance and they would have a tribal allotment. And so Moses leads them. First they go and they head toward Mount Sinai. God makes a covenant with them there, gives them the Mosaic covenant, the Mosaic law, and establishes the priesthood as a pattern toward Jesus, a pattern for them to be able to have temporary atonement for their sins and in preparation for the Lord who will come the Messiah who will come and provide eternal redemption and atonement for them. 
But they wandered through the wilderness. Moses led them to Kadesh Barnea. And you remember the story, if you know about the scriptures and have read the scriptures. You remember Moses sent in 12 spies, one from each of the tribes of Israel. And 10 of them came back with an evil report because they did not believe God. They said, oh, yes, the land is beautiful. Look at the size of these grapes. Let me tell you, it's beautiful here. But we're like grasshoppers because there's giants in that land. And we don't have the strength to overcome them. And they forgot about who was the one leading them and the one who made the promise and that he was faithful and able to do what he said he would do. So they could not enter the land that God had given them as their inheritance. They could not enter God's rest because of unbelief. They refused to believe God. So they had to turn around in the wilderness. Every one of that generation died. And then Joshua led the generation that believed God's word into the promised land and they took it. So the whole context here is about God providing a rest for his people who will believe his promise. And so that's what we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, that there is rest available to all who will believe him. And the ones who believe God are defined for us here as those who take the word that God has promised and mix it with faith. They believe it, and they believe that God who spoke it is able and faithful to do what he said. And that, beloved friends, brings us into the rest that God is talking about here, because we're not having to strive for it. We simply say, God said it, and he's going to do it. And so we mix it with faith and believe that word. That's where we're coming from in this context. So now I want us to read verses 11 through 13 of Hebrews chapter 4. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. How do we do that? Remember, we believe God's word. We take the word, the promise, and mix it with faith. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. What example of disobedience? The children of Israel in that first generation who said, we can't go in, there's giants in the land, and we don't believe that our God who promised us is going to do what he said or is able to do what he said against these giants. We're not to fall according to that same example of disobedience, according to the scripture here. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give 
an account. So there's power and instrumentation of the word that is spoken of here in verse 12. It speaks about the word of God, the logos of God, being quick or alive, living and active. It is active. It is energetic. It is efficient. It is potent to accomplish the work. It is potent. It is powerful enough to do what it was sent forth to do. Isaiah 55 verse 10 and 11 talks about the the word of God. It will not return to him void, but it will accomplish what it was sent to do. It is able and adapted to do the thing. It's effectual and effective. The root word or the root words really tell us it is in the fixed position of working. In other words, it never dies. It is solid and it is working the whole time. Let me give you an example. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first messianic prophecy in the scriptures recorded for us was given at that time by the Lord himself, I personally believe. And he talked about how there would be a seed of the woman that would come and would crush the serpent's head, although the serpent would be allowed to bruise his heel. That was the first messianic promise that promised a coming one who would be a seed of the woman. In other words, would be virgin born. That's what it was talking about. And that one would be God come in the flesh. It's the same one that centuries later, Isaiah comes along and prophesies about that would be born of the virgin. And then several hundred years later, guess what? Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary and Gabriel is sent to Mary. And Gabriel says to Mary, you're going to have the son of the living God. You're the one chosen, Mary. You are blessed among all women. You are the the one who has the desire of all women in the sense that they all wanted to be the mother of Messiah. And Mary was the mother of the Messiah that God had spoken and promised way back in Genesis some 4,000 years earlier. But that word was in the fixed position of working the whole time. That word never died. Even though it was released 4,000 years before it came to pass, the whole time it was a living, active word. And in the fullness of time, Paul tells us in Galatians, God sent forth his son, born of the virgin. But the whole time that word was a working, alive, and active word. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, it tells us. In other words, it can cut as with a single blow or a single stroke. It doesn't take hacking away. It can do the entire job with one blow. It is the most keen or astute or able, able to cut with one single blow. Even 
separating, the word of God tells us here, between joints and marrow and between soul and spirit. Now, the Bible tells us we are made body, soul, and spirit. And sometimes we may want to think the soul and the spirit are the same, but they are not. And we have this scripture that proves it. There is a division, but it is so minute that we can't divide it. But the spirit of the living God through the word of the living God can. It can separate between our motives, those that are pure or not. It, between our thoughts, those that are pure or not. Between our worship, those that is sincerely true or not. The word of God works. It is alive, it is effective, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword to cut where needed. It is a working word. James, the half-brother of Jesus, confirms that to us. In James chapter 1, verse 21 through 25, I want to read this. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So here we find out that this working word is to be received and it will be implanted in us. It is able to save us. We need to receive that implanted word. Let it take root deeply in good soil in your heart just as Jesus spoke about in the parable of the sower or the soils. Jesus spoke about how the seed is the word of God. Jesus defined it for us. We don't have to wonder about it. The seed in that example he used is the word of God. And it's cast out to everyone, to every type of soil. Some receive it and it takes deep root and works for them. Others don't. There were four kinds, and the one that had the good soil is the one that received it and let it become implanted to them. It was planted inside of them. An implanted word, the implanted seed, is what is planted inside of you by nature. Now, how do we talk about that when we're looking at the seed being the word of God and our nature in our natural state is sinful. It is the Adamic nature. It is the sin nature. But when we receive the word of the Lord and believe it and call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, our nature changes. We then become what the Bible calls in many places the new man, or as Peter said, partakers of God's divine nature. God changes our nature to be like his. 
It's an ongoing process, but he immediately makes us a brand new creation and we have a new nature. So we can receive that word and let it take good, deep root in our lives to work in us the good work that it wants to do, that God sent it forth to do. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes this, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. This word of God is an effectively working word, able to save us, able to teach us and reveal to us Jesus so that we can be saved. Both Paul in these passages tell us this, other scriptures tell us this, and Paul also tells it to young Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, Paul writes this, But you, meaning Timothy, must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. They are able to save us. The scripture is able to bring us to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The word is very important. It is our daily bread. And we need to make sure that we are in the word daily and letting the word of God get inside of us on a daily basis. Psalm 119, verse 9 through 11, verses 9 through 11, tells us to hide it in our heart and to watch it work for us because it will correct us, it will help us, it will keep us on the right path. Part of its work, according to Hebrews chapter 4 that we read earlier and some of these other scriptures, is a cutting work. It's like a master chef who would cut away the fat, the grizzle, the bad parts out of that food so that we don't partake of that when we eat it. The scriptures becomes a cutting work in us. The master chef of the Holy Spirit who wrote it is able then to use the cutting of the word of God to discern between our thoughts, our motives, etc., and make us more like Jesus so that we are good and we are blessed and we are useful. It's like peeling an onion, for instance, a cutting a cutting knife that might peel an onion. And when you peel an onion, you're going to do it. A master chef will do it one layer at a time. God's word does that. He works on us one step at a time. It's also like a master surgeon who would be using a scalpel or some of the other instruments that he has to cut out a cancer or a cyst or something that is hurting you to restore you to a healthy body and stitch you up so that you can be healed. The Logos is like that. It is a cutting tool for us. It's a discerner 
of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's a discerner, a divider between soul and spirit. And this refers to the entirety of God's word. John 17, 17, Jesus is praying and he says, sanctify them by your word for your word is truth. The entirety of God's word is truth. And so the Holy Spirit will take from the Logos a specific rhema word and apply it to you and your specific need and situation. And that becomes your sword of the Spirit that Paul spoke about in Ephesians chapter 6. Matthew chapter 4 gives us an example of when Jesus was tempted by the devil for those 40 days and 40 nights. And we can read about three specific temptations that the devil gave to him. And every time Jesus came back against the enemy, he said, it is written. He was quoting from the Logos through a rhema word in that moment that applied in that situation against the enemy. That was his sword of the Spirit. And it's the same as ours today in the armor of God that Paul tells us God has provided in Ephesians chapter 6. We don't need to fear the cutlery of grace. The master chef knows exactly how to peel and prepare you to feed others, and to be blessed in the Lord. He knows what piece of cutlery to use to prepare you correctly. Sometimes he'll peel the onion. Maybe other times he'll chop it or dice it. But it's all good in the end. As the master chef, he knows exactly which knife to use from his toolbox, from his cutlery set. And that knife, so to speak, becomes the rhema word, and we can trust him. Now, I'm using this as an example. I'm not talking about legitimate knives to cut or hurt us. I'm talking about the scriptures and how God will make them come alive to do the work of cutting that will help us, just like a master chef would use a knife for good and for good purposes. So let's consider some of the items, some of the pieces, or some of the knives, so to speak, of the cutlery of grace. One is called conviction. It works to draw people to Jesus in order to be saved through repentance and belief. This, according to Paul, in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13, is the rhema word that will build faith. It says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema of God, the word that has become alive to that person to show them Jesus so that their faith can arise in their heart and they can call upon his name, believe in him and be saved. This is the conviction work. It draws Christians also to repent when we mess up and fall part of the process that God uses for continual cleansing in us by the word of God, as Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 17. Comprehension is another knife or piece 
of God's cutlery set, so to speak. Comprehension works to help us understand and apply God's word. Another one is conversation, working to teach us how to pray and how to draw near to God in fellowship and in relationship. Another is correction. It convicts and corrects us to get us back on track when we've strayed. Confirmation is how the Holy Spirit will convict us when we are doing right or pleasing the Lord. He will confirm that in our conscience and in our hearts. Confidence is another, giving us assurance of salvation and helping us understand there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are called according to his purpose. Compassion is another one to help us and work for us along the way as needed. Comfort is another one when we get discouraged or grow weary. Communication is another one teaching us how to witness and share Jesus with others. Contribution teaching us how to invest eternally in the lives of other people. Conforming is another one. And this one, I believe, is when the Holy Spirit will complete the work on that coming day. And until then, he is continually working to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And on that day, it will be complete. The master surgeon knows how to cut out of us what is bad and will hurt us in the long run. The agent of the Holy Spirit also knows just how to arm us with the word. He knows how to cut out of us what will hurt us, and he knows how to do the powerful work to prepare us. Our part is simply to read it, to read the word, to study the word, to memorize it and hide it inside and let it work for us even when it must cut. Everything that the Holy Spirit does through the Word of God for us is good. It is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is alive. It is effective and it is good even when it hurts. In the end, when its work is done, we will be much better off. Praise be to God. I want to close with this final scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, where we were earlier, I'm going to close by reading verse 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or the person who believes in Jesus, the disciple of the Lord, the person who's given his heart and life to Jesus, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the end, beloved friend, we will always be much better off when we let the Word of God do its full work, even when it must cut 
and it hurts in the interim. The end result is always good. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us for more episodes as we begin to draw to a close in this Beauty of Grace series. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.